We have been in this message series we've called Healthy Families. Today is our fourth and final uh, topic on this. We started by talking about raising great kids, and we uh, we talked about how to love your now or future spouse. We last week we we looked at the tension of of life and and work and family and worship and recreation and how do we how do we manage all that. And uh, we got one more today. I want to talk about generations together. And I I uh, just have a fairly strong burden about about this message today, and I, I'm really looking forward to to sharing uh, this with you. In a few moments, we're going to be back in Luke chapter 2, so if you have a Bible with you, you can find that. Uh, Otherwise, we'll read it for you, and you can follow along later. So, generations together. Um, You you may realize that... um, that I had a, had a birthday, you know, they, they, I would say it this way, you know, like I recently turned 47 and then I more recently turned 50. And, um, and that means to anyone under 45, I'm old. And it means to anyone over 60, I'm young. Right? So I'm like about 30 plus years into my adult life and I have about 30 plus years to go. So I'm right smack in the middle, right down the line. And I, I'm also in the generational sandwich. So I've got young adult sons who I'm in the process of launching into the world, shooting those arrows out like we talked about last week. And I've got parents in their upper 80s that I'm trying to figure out appropriate levels of care. So I'm in that in-between place. Some of you are in that place too. The generational sandwich. And I feel like I understand the tension of the generations, right? I'm a Gen Xer. Kind of the best generation, I, I have to admit, right? I mean, I watched the collapse of the Iron Curtain in my formative years, right? I, 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 was, I was the one that, that, I was in that generation that, that saw the emergence of MTV and those fantastic hair bands of the 80s, right? I mean, that was great music. Uh, it was, right? My, but here's the thing. My siblings, they're all older than me. My siblings are baby boomers. And my kids are millennials. And my parents are builders. And we got all these kind of generations around. You know, my children do not know a world without the internet. Not really. And, and I'm comfortable with it. And my parents are a little overwhelmed by it. I feel the tension of the generations. My dad and my mom will tell me stories of going to school. Okay, they're still alive and they can tell me stories of going to school on a horse-drawn carriage. I mean, these people were metal. You know how they stayed warm? They had a, they had a pot-belly stove on the cart, flaming hot pot-belly stove on a rocking around cart. And, yeah, yeah, and to keep them warm. I mean, that would not pay, pass safety regulations today. And then, so you compare that to my kids who one day will be riding around in autonomous electric vehicles or hydrogen cell, hopefully, vehicles. What a spread. What a diversity. What, what almost disparity of generational experience. And then we bring all that to church, right? Some wonder why... Why can't we just get with the times? Come on, let's get current. Some wonder, why can't we just go back to when it was really good? Well, a healthy family, and today I'm going to include the church family, is one where the generations can enjoy each other and be a blessing to each other and a benefit to one another. 
And the Bible is going to give us some help in this. We're going to find it in Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 22. So if you've got your Bible with you or not, that's fine. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. It's a great passage. Jesus, we, this is part of the birth narrative of Jesus. Jesus is born. We've, ex, we've heard the message of the shepherds and the angels. And then we get this verse, um, well, I'll, I'll take it verse 21. So 20, verse 21 says, eight days later, that's after the birth, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus and named given him by the angel, the name given him even before he was conceived. And then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem. So it's a pretty good trip for them. And the law of the Lord says, uh, if the woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. And so they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And verse 25 says this, At that time there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, and he was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and he had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And that day the Spirit led uh, Simeon to, to the temple. And so when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. And he took the child in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I've seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations and he is the glory of your people Israel. And Jesus' parents were amazed, amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon, verse 34, blessed them. And he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. Verse 36, Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. And she was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. And she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. And she lived, then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. Now, I will just say, I did put my foot in my mouth in the 930 service, so just to keep it fair, I'll do it here too. I said, well, the Bible says that if you're 84, you're very old. I shouldn't have said it. But she'd been a widow for probably uh, 60 years or so, maybe more. She came along, verse 38, uh, verse 37. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. Verse 38, she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. And she talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. And when Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. And there the child grew up healthy and strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. What do we have here? Well, we have Jesus being raised in a good Jewish home, right? He's a good Jewish boy. It's a faithful Jewish family. And uh, that's how he's being raised. This coming Thursday, we have a, I've invited a special guest to our church. It's very unusual for us. Um, a gal named Sandra, she's a, she's an Orthodox Jew. She's from Israel and she's going to be sharing, uh, here on, on Thursday night a little bit about what's happening both currently in Israel, but also she's, kind of well-educated in sort of the backgrounds of our 
Old Testament scriptures. And so be, I, I'm looking forward to an interesting evening. If you want a sense of what it was like for Jesus, Thursday night will give you a glimpse of that. But p- part of this family life for Jesus was this intermingling of generations. And from this passage, I've got a few, I think we can gather some guidelines that would apply to us even now today. But there's an uncomfortable truth or reality that we need to face. And that's this. Progress favors the young. Progress favors the young. I'm, I'm old enough now to say stuff like, hey, remember when we, right? Or, man, I liked it when we did this over here. But I'm telling you, there's no 50-year-olds winning Olympic gold medals. Except maybe in curling, which is my last dying hope for a medal. Because those curlers, I mean, you look at them, honestly. Right? Don't you just think at their practice, they're like, hold my beer. And then, like, that's 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 what I think of curling. So, But aside from curling, which isn't really a sport, I guess... Um, There's no 50-year-olds winning Olympic medals, right? The torch of innovation and competition gets passed along much earlier than that. Not to to say we don't contribute. Uh, Those of us who are older, we still work hard for the Lord, even physically. I don't know if you you noticed the grounds this morning as you drove on. I was here yesterday morning, and the Sod Squad was, was working and making this place look beautiful out there. All of them are older than me, and I think we ought to give them a hand because it was amazing. But now our role is more coaching, teaching, support, oversight. We may not have all the upfront roles. We might start stepping off the sides a little bit, encouraging from behind. What is essential is that our generosity, our forbearance, uh, encouragement generally flows downhill from older generations to younger than uphill from younger to older. It's just the reality of how it is. Now, how are we going to find our way through this so that we can actually benefit each other generationally? I think there's at least three good lessons in this Luke 2 passage about how the generations can benefit each other. And the first one is that it's when we are eager to give. We benefit each other. We function well when we're eager to give. Now, there's this amazing sense of anticipation from these two elderly worshipers, Simeon and Anna. You see it in verse 25. Simeon says... He was righteous and devout, it says about him, he was righteous and devout, was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Huh. So when the Holy Spirit led him to the temple that day and he had a chance to meet Jesus, he spoke his blessing and he was satisfied. He was content. He had given what God had given him to give. Right? The win for Simeon and the win for Anna is that their eyes were fixed on the Lord and really fixed on God's mission of salvation. Salvation for the Jews and salvation for the Gentiles. They were not waiting for the Messiah to reinforce tradition or to meet their personal expectations or say, yeah, finally, you know, we're going to get to do things the way I've always wanted to do them. No. They... When we say that the generations benefit from each other being eager to give, it means we are pursuing an intense generosity to give away what we've received from God. So things like this. If you've received salvation, you get to give that away to others. If you've been taught from God's word, from good teachers, you get to give that away 
to others by teaching or being in mentoring relationships. We cannot just keep filling our own tank, spiritual tank. We, I, I really appreciated what you said uh, where Christy was this morning. So we want to be filled up in our own tank, which is essential, but we can't just keep overflowing that tank. We've got to let it flow out to others. If you've received hope or blessing or an intimate experience with the Savior or if you have a prophetic word for the church, right? Or maybe you've gained wisdom through difficulty and hard times. You get to give those things away to others. Janice, I'm going to put you on the spot for a moment. You know, you attend our Tuesday morning women's Bible study and I've watched there's there's an older woman in that that group that has kind of, in a sense, kind of taken you on, kind of adopted you almost as her own. And she's been pouring her life into you, not to get her way with stuff, not because she has an agenda to get her influence, because she's just trying to bless you and cause you to, to flourish and be be successful in what you do. It's an it's amazing, isn't it? It's just a blessing. You're better for it as she's emptying herself into you. So you and you get to empty yourself into another generation. This is why I love my small group. You know, my connection group. When I when I sit in a Bible class or a study, you know, I'm I'm getting information downloaded. I was at a conference for a couple days this week. It was great. Got some great content. It was outstanding. That's fine, but but it's only part of what I need. So what happens in a smaller group setting? We we get to to give from our heart to others and receive from our heart to others. When that happens across generations, it's an incredibly special gift. It's one of the reasons why I keep kind of encouraging you to to form groups around our R and R journal because. No one's an expert. No one's the teacher. We come together on a level playing field and the Holy Spirit guides us through His Word. And we can be taught that way. For the generations to flourish, we've got to be eager to give. Generally speaking, like I said, that's going to flow downward from older generations to younger, but it can go upward as well in a variety of ways. We give respect. We listen to those above us, but but it goes downward. I want, I want to try to illustrate this with... with um, these pitchers. I've got I've got three pitchers here. Two are empty, and one's got water in it. And if you think about it, you know this is this is a generation that's that's received from the Lord, has had experience and and wisdom, and and they've been filled up. What has to have there comes a point where that generation now needs to to pour into the next generation. But what's amazing about that is it's not going to look the same. Isn't that interesting? It changes. It's a new color. It's got new dimensions to it. It's got new perspective. Now this generation, this is 80s music. Okay, this is a good generation. So this should stay just the way we need to pass this on because there comes a point where even, so this represents me and my generation, let's say, we also have to pass on. And guess what? When we pass on, it's not going to be the same. It's going to change. New forms, new styles, new, new, new ways of doing things. And that's going to happen again and again. We pour ourselves out for the benefit of the others. But guess what? It's not going to be a duplicate. It's not a carbon copy. That's hard. That's hard because blue was really precious. I loved the blue. The generation before me loved the clear. It was just so pure and clear and you messed it up by going blue. And I'm like, green? What are you doing with green? So we've got to be eager to give, eager to give. There's sometimes some grieving that goes with that. 
It's a sense of loss. It's okay. Generations will also function together when we're ready to receive. So there's giving, but there's also receiving. I don't know if you notice that in the passage, the attitude of Mary and Joseph, you see it there at verse 33. It says this, that Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. That means they welcomed, eagerly welcomed, they received that prophetic word from Simeon. You know, we, we've got... Uh, you know, many encouragers in this church. I love it. It's a blessing to receive your encouragement and your compliments, your support. Now, culturally, some of us, I'm one of these that was kind of raised to to not give compliments very easily because we were told that that would make somebody proud and you didn't want to puff them up and get them a big head. And so, you know, you you just say, well, the Lord will take care of that. We're not going to say anything. That's just hogwash. That's That's just nonsense, right? We... We want to be generous and quick with encouragement. Now, genuine, sincere, but we want to be quick to say, that was great. Love how you did that. Oh, you look good today. Man, that was fantastic. Be eager, be, be quick to do that and generous with it. Let it flow. And then when you receive an encouragement, take it to heart. Listen to that. Don't just, don't just dismiss it. You know, you want to receive it graciously. I don't know if you've ever heard someone say you compliment them and then they say, oh, it wasn't that good or ah, it could have been better. I, nah, I just, it wasn't my best, you know. And and how do you feel when you give them that compliment and it kind of gets almost rejected? You're like, well, wait, I just was trying to say good job, right? Really what we're doing at that moment, we're saying, oh, stop saying such nice things about me. No, we want more. It's it's a It's a false modesty. It's really an arrogance to do that. All we just need to say is, oh, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. That's it. That's all you need to say. Simple. Receive what what people want to give to you. Be ready to receive. This also means that those of you who are who are younger in the family, both in your natural family but in the family of God, we, we also need to be ready to receive guidance and counsel and input from older generations. This is a little hard to believe, but believe it or not, those, those, your, your parents and your grandparents, they actually know stuff. They really do. They're not as out of touch as you think. They've had experiences. They, they, they've had educations. Now, they may not be able to download a podcast, right? They may not be able to manage a Spotify account, right? But they've learned stuff from real life that can help you. So, when grandma at the table tells you how to be polite and use good manners. Listen, she's helping you. It's going to make you better. When grandpa wants to tell you about his school day experiences, or when grandpa wants to share with you something that the Lord's placed on his heart for you, listen, receive it. It's good. It's good. So we want to be, we want to be ready to receive. Now, older generations can receive fresh insights and ideas from the younger. So this is really a mutually beneficial way to function when we'll receive. Hey, that's that's a good idea. I never thought of doing it that way before. That's great, right? But we want to receive from each other. Now, there's a third way that the generations function together. And this, is, I think, is the most important one, but also by far the most difficult one. And that's this. We want to be willing to release. Willing to release. Verse 38 says this about Anna. That she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph. And and she began praising God. And she talked about the child to everyone who had been 
waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Remember, she'd been there for 60 plus years. If anybody had something worth saying, it should have been her. And, and here, she did not talk about, really about Simeon. Right? She did not talk about her own experience, her own expertise, her own qualifications. She talked about Jesus and what God was going to do through Jesus. That's what she was talking about. That's what she was excited about. What does that mean? She was releasing her own ideas and expectations and, and releasing it into Jesus. So if the generations are really going to benefit one another, there's a need to release Release influence and control and preferences, programs, right? Comforts, traditions. We've got to release it to the next generation. Let it go for the sake, not for the sake of change itself, but for the sake of mission. This in no way discards the leadership of elders, of those who are older. But it empowers godly young people, ones who are preparing themselves to lead. Listen, those of you who are under 40, those of you who are under 30, I believe, I believe this is your season. I believe this is your season. You are on the front edge of a culture, an entire culture that has disconnected from the gospel. And it's on you to help us reach your generation. People my age and older are still thinking, no, I think everybody basically likes the church and likes Christians. I I think that's how it is. We don't quite see it the way you see it. You realize that we went in a very short period of time from, hey, Christians are pretty good. I think they helped the world to Christians are horrible people. It went from warmth and acceptance, tolerance at least, to outright hostility. My generation is not quite grasping that as much as yours is. Those of you who are under 40 and under 30, we need you to lead us to reach your generation. So I would say this, there's a, there's a, there's a caveat, there's a qualification that you need to develop your character and develop your spiritual maturity so that you're, you're qualified because we need to sing your songs. We need, we need you to break us free from old models and, and programs that were effective in times past, but, but are no longer reaching your peers. And it's in no way a compromise of the gospel. The gospel has not changed. Jesus is still the only way for salvation. That's an unchanging reality. But if you visit a church like Prodigal Church that I showed on the video before, or, or Via Church, another great church in our city that's that's been growing greatly. The Well, another outstanding church. These churches are filled with millennials and others, but millennials receiving outstanding gospel teaching, healing ministry, empowering worship. They're activating social justice for our community and, and from here to the world, right? It's, a, it's an awesome thing that's happening. And those of us, my age and older, we've had our seasons We've had our seasons. It's time to release. It's, it, it's time even to drop our beloved programs and our beloved structures. We have plenty of places where we can live and relive our glory days under nostalgia. You know, I'll give you an example. When I was 18, I was 20, I was 25, I led many groups in worship. That was kind of my deal in those days. I was a worship leader and and sometimes big groups led in a in a 
church, large church in Vancouver, and, and, and we led all the current songs of the day, and, and it, we just worked with some tremendous musicians. It was so fun. It was so exciting, and, and we were just singing these great new songs, and, and people were following along, and, and wow, it was great, right? You know, I don't sing those old songs from the 80s and 90s, because God has continued to do a new work again and again. I'm releasing as well. You know, Christy and I have talked about this here that Josh and I have talked about this too, that I don't like every song that we do, but I can still worship. Now, I want them to be theologically accurate. I want them to be have the right content. They've got to be singable, right? But we're moving on. As I was working on this message, I was watching and listening to a, a newer Hillsong worship DVD. Hillsong, in case you don't know, is that church out of, out of Australia that's really become a global movement. And they're most known for their outstanding worship influence, starting with a, a gal named Darlene Check. Darlene wrote, and others wrote these amazing songs in the early 2000s. We were bringing the house down with songs like, Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Or, uh, This is my desire to honor you. Oh, man, this is great songs. And arms were in the air. And just people were singing. And, man, it was great. It was great. Oh, we should go back to that. It was great. Right? But if you watch a current Hillsong video, in fact, uh, I think Ed's just going to play a little clip of it just silently behind me as I, as I speak, you're, you're going to see, you know, recorded in, in a stadium full of worshipers. And there's none of the old songs that they used to sing. It's all new stuff, right? And only a few of their past worship leaders that keep bringing in newer, younger leaders. That the very, very talented folks of 20 years ago, they passed the torch multiple times. Why? To stay in step with what God is doing. Because here's the key. We don't make changes and in, 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 in to styles and to programs for the sake of making changes. We're not just trying to be novel or cute in some way. Right? We change because God is moving. One of the reasons we, we introduce newer songs to you and new music is to you because there's a wide stream of what God is doing globally, and we're saying, hey, we want to be in the stream of what God is doing around the world. So let's be a part of that. Now it doesn't always work perfectly, and, and, and sometimes we don't we don't get it right. But we want to be in that wide stream of what God's doing. He's moving, and so we want to keep in step with the Spirit. We want to move where God is moving, and so that's why we we sing new songs because God's raising up new songs, and we sing those too. The children of Israel wandered in the desert for forty years between Egypt and the Promised Land of quite a small space. But they wanted, and it looked like they were getting somewhere because they were active and they were moving. But they were going nowhere. What was happening? God was waiting for that next generation till the next generation was ready to rise up and lead them in to the promised land. So when I say we have to be ready to release, it's not for the sake of politics. It's not for the sake of the culture. It's not for the sake of being cute. It's for the sake of the mission of the kingdom of God. Right? That all people everywhere would have the opportunity to respond to the amazing grace of God. It's to proclaim the good news that Jesus saves by his death, 
and by his resurrection and that he's coming again. It's on us to make disciples, to baptize them, to lead people to follow Jesus. If we can't do it, we ought to hand it off to someone who can. We have a mission. So we release what's been precious to us, even in our styles of music and in our styles of dress. Why? So that generations, new generations can be discipled to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Not necessarily in the old ways and in the old rules that were familiar to us and comfortable for us. And those of you who are 25 and 20 or 25 years from now, you're going to go through the same thing. Happens again and again. What's this going to mean? I don't know. I don't know yet. It's going to mean a willingness to do stuff you haven't done before. I know that. Maybe as an example, maybe you'll join or even lead a connection group this fall. Maybe we'll take your Sunday class with you into that so we can free up people to do other things on Sunday mornings. Maybe maybe you're ready to mentor a younger person into your favorite serving task. Teach them something new. Or, or you're going to try a new area of serving yourself. I, I, I talked to someone this morning at the 930 service. He says, I'm just about 80. He said, I, I would never have believed all the things that God would allow me to do. He says, I, I, I'm working with inner city kids and, and I'm, we're helping them, you know, get music and scholarships. And he says, it's just amazing. But I had to let go of what was, what I was doing before. I was just like, wow. I said, I, he's a visitor. I said, I'm, I'm going to have coffee with you tomorrow. I want to hear about this. Right. However we do this, I want to be part of a community of Jesus followers that figures out how to meet the actual felt needs of our community. Of this part of 93720. And the world beyond. To bring the gospel to the unreached right where they are in a way that makes sense to them. I want to be a church where your peers and your coworkers and your kids and your grandkids and your colleagues can, can hear the good news of Jesus in a way that, oh, I get it. And it means... A lot of releasing, frankly. A lot of releasing. A lot of letting go. It means an investment of resources to update programs, facilities, technology, evangelism, structures of leadership, structures of governance. I I shared in the 930 service, I said, you know, if you knew you were going to die this week, would it be a waste to plant a fruit tree in your yard? No, it would not. You would never see the fruit, but your kids, your grandkids would. It would be a worthy investment, wouldn't it? And in the same way, we're going to invest in things here that that we may not... It's like the high-speed rail, quite frankly. (laughs) Whether you want to or not, your taxes are paying. Well, your debt is paying for a high-speed rail that you're never, probably never going to ride. At least I don't think I'll ever ride that thing. But my kids probably will. Their kids probably will. And they'll be like, man, this is awesome. Hopefully. <laughs> Touchy subject, I know. Churches that reach people do not keep doing the same things over and over. Well, we got no results. Let's do it some more. <laughs> well, that's not actually logical, is it? Right? They listen to the Spirit. They adapt. They adjust. They make changes. They bring in new people. They shift, they slide, they find out ways. How do we do what the Lord's calling us to do?
the, look, I know this is big picture stuff and, 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 and all I'm saying is this, if we'll commit to these things, if we'll commit to release, to let go, I really believe God is going to lead us to what he has for us. But he's not going to lead us there until we let go. You know, it's just like thing you, 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 you're hanging on here and, and you need to get over there and it's not until you release and jump that you're going to get it. But you don't even know what that is, but we still have to say, Lord, I'm going to jump. I'm going to let go. We've got to release, release to those upcoming generations. And for us to function well as generations together. For the glory of God and for the purpose of the mission of the kingdom, we've got to be ready to, to eager to give away what we've received. We, we've got to be ready to receive from others what they want to give. And most importantly, we need to release what we hang on to so that God can do a new work in a new season. Let's pray. Church, as, I, as, as your heads are bowed, I, you might be thinking about your area of life, your area of ministry. This, what I'm talking about, might create some angst for you. You might create some panic for you, confusion. I want clarity for you. Maybe you think right now, I think I need to let go of this and be ready for some of that, whatever that's going to be. God, I just, I'm just asking that you would give each of us that heart of release to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to release it. Lord, if you give it back to me, that's great. But, but right now I'm going to release it. Whether it's an area of ministry, a, a preference style, finances, relationships, whatever it is. Lord, I, I'm just going to release. I want to trust you. Lord, I pray that we'd be people who are eager to give what you've given to us and not hold it to ourselves. Eager to give. Ready to receive what, what you want to speak in, and pour into our lives. And most importantly, ready, willing to release. God, I'm just asking you to lead our church into a fresh season. Lord, we've gone a long time uh, of, of doing good stuff. But Lord, we want to do your stuff. God, we, our desire is that we would see the lost found. To see the found discipled. To see the discipled sent out to the world. To their schools, to their workplaces, to their homes, to their neighborhoods. Lord, do that in me. Change my heart, Lord. Change my heart. God, we just need you to do this work in us. We trust you to provide in all that we need. We trust you to lead in all these, all these things. We give you our praise. In Jesus' name. We love you, Lord. Amen.